Hello everyone and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia Farm Team. We have just released the December Situation and Outlook report, and given the continuing strain on international trade relationships, we thought it would be a great opportunity to look at how Australian dairy is tracking in Indonesia. As our largest neighbour and the fourth most populous country in the world, Indonesia has massive potential as an export market for our dairy products. Oz Fine Foods Operations Director Gary Imbleton has been at the coalface of Indonesian dairy trade for over a decade and is a strong advocate for further developing trade ties to Jakarta and beyond. Talking to Dairy Australia's Industry Insights and Analysis Manager John Droppert, Gary explains that there's plenty of goodwill towards Australian dairy from the Indonesian food industry. Before we get into the podcast discussion, just a reminder to stay tuned after John and Gary's discussion for all the highlights of the latest Situation and Outlook report. Gary Ableton, welcome to Dairy Pod. Thank you very much, uh, John. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be here with you. So Indonesia was um, a, a much higher profile market, probably in the psyche of you know, Australians and Australian farmers. Maybe 20 odd years ago, you know, we you know, had a lot of Indonesian language studies in the classrooms and, and so on and so forth. Interesting your thoughts, firstly, I guess, on why that's faded in recent years and, and probably as a counterpoint to that, um, why yourself and Ausfine have kind of stuck with it um, you know, over, over those years. Indonesia has always been a, you know, a a market for Australian dairy, and it was certainly the case if you go back uh, pre-millennium drought was a much more important market than it is now. What what you've had in the time since is uh, obviously the, the emergence of China in particular as a as a stronger market, uh, and some of the difficulties of doing business in Indonesia uh, probably just made it a lower priority uh, for for exporters from Australia uh, who had a choice. Um, but I think there's a real been somewhat of a stigmatism uh, attached to business in Indonesia and uh, uh, export managers haven't always enjoyed going there, security and, uh, and matters of that type. Jakarta uh, can, can be a challenging city to get around. Uh, so it really just dropped off the, uh, the interest level for a lot of exporters as, as other things uh, uh, did take their interest away. But uh, at Osfine, we had a look at it uh, around about uh, six or seven years ago and uh, really made a conscious choice not to join the, the China pile on and uh, looked at Indonesia of a market where you've got nearly 300 million people. You've got, uh, as with so much of the region, the growing uh, middle class, the growing appetite for, uh, for more nutritious uh, food, more Western style food. And, uh, you know, but unfortunately, while Australia has been uh, somewhat ignoring it, uh, the Europeans and the Americans have gone in in a, in a fairly big way. Um, we've seen over the last uh, 15 years, Australia's exports to Indonesia effectively halve. Uh, 2006 was the, the high point for Australian dairy export at about 68 thousand tons whereas uh, you know, last year it was down at uh, not much more than uh, 30,000 tons about 33,000 tons uh, last year across the same period uh, we've seen the Americans go from about 13,000 tons to well over 120,000 tons of exports to Indonesia uh, the Europeans go from about 51,000 tons to uh, to again uh, over 200,000 tons of exports so it's a really strong market um, and the opportunity is there in the context of uh, China being a bit shaky at the moment uh, you know, we would be encouraging uh, all Australian exporters and particularly those in the dairy industry to shift their gaze back to Indonesia because uh, it's a good place to be doing business now. 
Yeah, so, I mean, in that market, what are you kind of, when you're competing against the Europeans and, and, and the Americans, obviously, you know, big volume producers and, and, and big volume exporters now, what are you what are you getting beat up on? You know, is it, is it heavily price-based competition or is it very much, um, you know, specifications or what's, what's kind of the selling point over there? Re- reality is I don't see there's any reason why uh, Australia... Is, wouldn't be able to compete there, not on, on product or specification. The, may, the the biggest product by volume that goes in there is uh, is skim milk powder, and uh, that's you know, the case by by a long way. 200,000 tonnes of skim milk powder goes into Indonesia uh, last year. Whey powder, about 135,000 tonnes. That would be various, uh, various whey and whey derivatives. Whole milk powder, about 107,000 tonnes. Now, that is dominated by New Zealand. We know from you know, all of the global trade that uh, uh, the New Zealanders have parked themselves firmly into the whole milk powder uh, market. Um, but you know, if you look at skim milk powder, whey powder, uh, whole milk powder, and, and cheese is a big growth item there uh, as well, You know, up around uh, the 45,000 tonnes of uh, cheese going in there. And that's, you know, that's growing year on year. So... Uh, there's nothing in there that we can't compete on in on quality grounds, on specification grounds. There are uh, some very uh, good premium users in Indonesia uh, you know, going into uh, some infant formula uh, type uh, uh, producers in there, uh, a lot of UHT production going on in there. So it's not a race to the bottom quality-wise. Uh, certainly, it's a market where uh, price competition is you know, is strong, but no 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 better or worse than it is in any other market or in the region. Sure, and you know Indonesia is such a kind of a fascinatingly complex place and so spread out, you know, across the sort of, I think thousands of, of islands and, and different populations. I mean, are there are there real logistical challenges there, or do you tend to see um, you know a lot of the import business focused on some key you know key markets and key places? Yeah. Yeah, there are challenges, um, you know, challenges, but you've got, you know, as with uh, everywhere else, you know, major port hubs, uh, Jakarta, Surabaya, um, gr- growing business off into uh, other island groups, Bali, obviously, from a food service point of view, uh, as, as well, has, has great opportunities there. Uh, historically, uh, you know, there's an import pro- import permit um, process that needs to be done, uh, and that's why you know, certainly at Osfine when we opened the office there, uh, it wasn't just about opening an office. We actually uh, almost surprised ourselves in the success in the end, where we actually a fully fledged importer in our own right. So to be in a, a fully Australian owned company that is a licensed importer in, into Indonesia uh, is, you know, is almost a dream come true for us, being able to to actually uh, get to that extent. The, um, the import pr- permit process, it's been a problem. It's done in two semesters, so twice a year. Uh, historically, a lot of delays, but those delays are getting better. Um, and uh, you know, we're now seeing, you know, in a reasonably timely manner, the IA Super Free Trade Agreement addresses uh, some of those challenges and has provisions around uh, automatic renewal of import permits. We're really in that phase of waiting to see how effective that might be uh, as time goes 
on, uh, but uh, the framework is there for us uh, to be able to do good business. And uh, uh, you know, we've, we've set ourselves up at Osfine and not to give ourselves too much of a free kick, but uh, is in a fairly unique situation that we can act as, uh, as an importer in Indonesia and give, uh, give suppliers some real um, uh, certainty around their capability of getting uh, product into the market in a seamless manner. So, so Gary, what do you see the major growth? Um, I mean, we traditionally, way back in the day, I think a lot of those Southeast Asian markets, and I thought they're probably recombination markets, and now, and then, you know, moving through ingredients, and as you said, a lot of a lot of powder still going into there. I mean, are they moving into that consumer-ready product phase yet, or are they still a bit further back from from say a China in in products like that going into there? Yeah, the, the, they are moving towards it, but the, that is one area where there are some real challenges still of the Indonesia market. If you're talking about uh, retail shelf-ready products. Uh, there is a registration uh, process that requires everything that goes on the supermarket shelf to uh, to have a what they call an ML number, a registration number printed on the uh, on the product. That can be a um, certainly a disincentive and something that hampers if you're trying to get a new product in there that you know, maybe doesn't have the volume uh, capability to support repackaging and so on. So yeah, the retail space remains difficult. Uh, also, uh, and, and obviously all uh, dairy exporters from Australia are comfortable with halal requirements, um, but that is, it's a hot button issue there. And in particular, uh, similar to Malaysia, where uh, your halal certifier has to be approved in, by the Indonesian authorities, that, uh, that can waver from time to time. But you know, not, not major issues, but certainly things to be aware of. And, and how's, um, how's Australian, you know, Australia and Australian produce um, you know, regarded over there? Are we seen as a, a premium supplier or is, you know, have the Europeans kind of captured that? Uh, that well, that, that cer line? certainly seen as a, uh, as a good quality uh, supplier. I, I think over a period of time, perhaps the, the reputation as being a reliable supplier has taken a hit from time to time because exporters have probably used it somewhat as a market of last resort sometimes and hasn't uh, hasn't put the effort into uh, you know, becoming that regular uh, repeat order supplier at times so but that that's you know there are issues that can be addressed um, pretty well so uh, yeah I, I think it's um, you know the opportunities are good uh, obviously uh, anyone who's watched the Indonesia relationship over year over the years has seen at a government level um, you know a few strains to the relationship. I think uh, at times they've been overplayed and never uh, forget it's not governments that, uh, that buy and sell product, it's, uh, it's businesses and business people. And I've never seen uh, any negative sentiment to Australian export from any business person that I've uh, dealt with there in Indonesia. And I think the relationship is on as strong a footing now as it's, uh, as it's ever been. And uh, the opportunities are really uh, expanding by the day. Yes, yeah, we we do talk about um, you know with regards to China the difference between the, the the commercial relationships and the and the political relationships and it's um it, it makes sense that that's uh, uh, that's also the case with Indonesia and and, and sometimes the uh, you know the, the seven thirty report version of that relationship I think we were talking about the other day uh, versus the, the the actual trading relationships going on every day um, you know behind the scenes I suppose. Yeah, for, for sure. And it's certainly the case with the, the IACPA. And I've, I've used uh, the uh, the terms or this sort of uh, uh, phrasing recently uh, a few times that it's the government's job to uh, to make the framework. And they've done that with IACPA and you know, free trade agreements with so many other markets that we trade in. But 
uh, it is then up to business to get the job done. So the framework is is in place. Uh, there's willing business people at, at both ends of the uh, of, of the uh, the air path um, here in Australia and in, in Indonesia. So the opportunities are absolutely there. There's uh, uh, absolutely a lot of goodwill towards Australian export uh, and the d- dairy industry. You, know, you can go back, you know, uh, even you know, long. I've been in it for 30 years, and long before my involvement, uh, the old uh, Austerian Australian Dairy Corporation setting up factories in Indonesia. Uh, you know, the, the engagement probably really goes back 60 years. Um, it's just, I think, the last 15 years or so, um, you know, the focus has gone elsewhere. We're seeing some really good reasons at the moment why that focus should shift back, not just to Indonesia, but you know, to a lot of markets that. Um, uh, that don't come with a big red flag attached to them. Uh, so uh, the mm-hmm. opportunities are, uh, are are really there, and uh, you know, nearly 300 million people. Um, that's projected, I think, in uh, within the next 10 years or so, that Indonesia is going to be a top 10 global economy. So uh, uh, ignore it at your peril. So Gary, a lot of these countries in Southeast Asia um, have self-sufficiency aspirations, and they you know they often translate through to um, you know limits uh, on, on, on product imports or, or regulations around um, local content or, you know, protectionism in some form or another. Is, is that a barrier you run into um, in Indonesia? It, it, it's certainly there as a potential barrier, but, but it's not a strong one. Uh, as, as you say, a lot of countries have uh, aspiration to self-sufficiency. Um, Indonesia is not a particularly strong one in that regard um, and you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed there in Indonesia uh, they did bring in a program a couple of years ago uh, encouraging those uh, doing local milk to be using a portion of the uh, sorry doing liquid milk to be using a portion of the local milk uh, that uh, uh, had ways or had provisions in it that if you couldn't you could uh, do things like you know, donate to charities and and so on. Uh, I'm not really sure how strongly it's being enforced now, but it was not a great impediment. And uh, uh, I wouldn't be too concerned about uh, the the capacity to compete there or to be blocked from doing business. The product range opportunities are enormous. And of course, the proximity, uh, even in sea freight, we can have containers there from uh, from Melbourne in under 10 days. So when it comes to fresh products uh, going in there, uh, or if those doing the ESL milk, for example, uh, you know, great opportunity there to um, uh, to to be uh, getting a market share over the coming years. Yeah, and I guess to, to more immediate matters. I mean, we've we've just released a situation outlook report that really talks to some of the challenges around COVID, and you know, we've seen a bit of that here, and we're seeing a lot of it in the northern hemisphere the you know renewed lockdowns and recessions. Now, how's Indonesia tracking through all that? Is that is that something you see impacting? Um, you know, consumer markets and, and business into that, you know, in, 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 the, in the near future. Yeah, look, it, it, look it's, it's an impactor all around the world. But I must say, I've been very impressed as an Indonesia observer uh, how far they've come in terms of uh, social uh, safety nets. So unlike, uh, and you certainly wouldn't have expected this out of Indonesia uh, 10 or 15 years ago, but they actually had some some social safety nets in place to uh, to capture those who became unemployed through uh, through COVID. Uh, obviously, they're not a type of economy that can go into the type of lockdowns that we uh, we had.
had here in Australia. So uh, they had levels of lockdown and discouragement from going into city areas. But the economy has had to uh, continue uh, on. Uh, but I, I was actually really impressed uh, at uh, to see that their social uh, capacity to uh, to catch those who were displaced by it has been pretty good and certainly much better than uh, you might have seen you know, from countries like the Philippines and uh, and others who have been much more severely impacted uh, by you know, unemployment and so on through COVID. Sure, I guess I guess to wrap up really, I mean, for, for a lot of Australian farmers, um, you know, listening to this, um, these days their, their commercial interest often stops at the front gate. Um, you know, we're in a post-cooperative um, industry really, um, but there is still a lot of interest in where the product goes, and, and that that's part of the due diligence. I think for farmers looking to choose a processor, you know, how sustainable is that price that they're offering, and and then also wanting a line of sight on on farm gate prices going forward. You know, obviously you know, the issues um, you know with China being very top of mind uh, in, in that space, and you know the domestic market as well. With that in mind, I guess what 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 should Australian farmers take away from the you know from the Indonesian market, or how should they um, what should they have in mind about it when uh, um, you know when they're sort of processing the opportunities or the the things that they're being told and you know the news of the day the prospects for their for their prices. Well, the the main message I would probably be be giving, and whether this be to farmers, processors, or you know, and and those in related industries and, and other ag industries, is uh, you just can't have all the eggs in in one basket. And you know, the current China situation is is showing that now. Fortunately, the Australian dairy industry is uh, not as exposed as as some others, but arguably has become overexposed to to China in in recent times. Uh, you know, there's the lure of uh, of premiums, but very similar to what the lure of premiums to Japan was back in the uh, 70s, 80s and, and 90s. And obviously you want to maximise the product that you, you sell at premium prices, but sometimes that can be fairly uh, short-sighted, in, uh, whereas you know, putting the effort in sometimes... Uh, uh, sometimes sacrificing the um, uh, some short-term um, uh, premiums to build a market and, and make sure that you've got a foothold in multiple markets is what's really the prudent way to be uh, handling the international strategy. Um, I think the, the Australian dairy industry does it better than most. Uh, you know, certainly if uh, if it was New Zealand uh, facing these sort of challenges with China at the moment with their dairy industry, uh, there'd be some very nervous uh, people over that side of the ditch, I'm sure. Um, but I think it is a, a timely reminder that um, you know, all, all the glitters isn't uh, gold when it comes to those uh, premium markets. And uh, and I don't, you know, we're, we're talking Indonesia today, but equally, you know, Malaysia, Philippines, uh, you, know, you, you name the country, Vietnam, uh, they should not be, uh, and I know they're not being fully ignored, but perhaps they should be getting uh, more uh, focused than they have been over the last few years. Well, Gary, you, you mentioned the um, IAC for, um, you know, in passing before, and I think um, you know, for, for those who, who don't follow the acronyms, it's the Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partnership uh, Agreement, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, you know, been big involvement uh, from from dairy in, in negotiating that. It's obviously a, a very broad um, agreement between Australia and Indonesia. Uh, how do you see the benefits of that playing out um, in terms of the you know the trading relationship going forward? 
Yeah, uh, John, as I touched on before, you know, the governments, and I think, you know, successive Australian governments have done a great job on free trade agreements. Of course, we always have to remember that uh, the term free trade agreement is probably misplaced. You know, it's, it's a framework for trade is, is a better way to uh, to put it. The, the IACPA certainly brings a lot of benefit to, uh, to dairy exports uh, to Indonesia and puts Australia on a very favourable footing against other uh, supplying countries. Um, so, you know, wonderful thing. Uh, my involvement in the Australia-Indonesian Business Council, uh, we're going to be shortly getting together a forum of uh, uh, food and ag exporters, not just in dairy, but across uh, other exporters. Uh, dairy Australia are likely to be a part of that. Uh, uh, Bronwyn Duke from Dairy Australia sits on that committee uh, with me. And we're going to be talking about uh, really the post-IACPA world and what challenges exporters continue to, to face with Indonesia? Uh, is the reality of business keeping in track with the uh, the expected framework of IACPA and somewhat you know, holding the agreement to account and uh, you know, working out where it's working and where it might need some uh, some fine tuning uh, in, in the future? So um, you know that's uh, the type of thing that uh, that uh, the Indonesia Australia Indonesia Business Council are, are looking at and. Uh, for me at the moment, I, th I feel like the government's done their job. It's now time for uh, for business to uh, to take it out for a run and see how it operates. Thanks very much, Gary. Appreciate your time uh, talking to us. No, th th thanks for the invitation, uh, John. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, best wishes to all the, the listeners out there, especially the, the ones doing it hard out on the on the farms. Uh, been a, you know, a long time supporter of the uh, dairy industry here in Australia. And uh, you know, the farmers are the ones that really make it tick. And uh, hopefully they're going to see some good times ahead. Thanks to Gary and John for that insight into Indonesia's potential as a dairy trade partner. As mentioned, Dairy Australia's December Situation and Outlook report has just been released, with some of the key takeaways including Continued improvement in milk production conditions, although the Australian milk pool has plateaued, with production expected to track towards the lower end of the current 1% to 3% growth range predicted for 2020-21. Retail demand for dairy remains high, with the easing of COVID-19 restrictions seeing a rebound in food services demand. And strong Chinese demand for dairy has continued to keep the market relatively well balanced, with a 3.8% increase in global trade in the 12 months to August. You can read the whole report at dairyaustralia.com.au. That's all for now. You can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>